Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Our scripture comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 11. We will look at all of 10 and all of 11, or at least parts of all of 10 and 11. Uh, But we will look at 11, 1 through 9 for the focus. Hear these words, the word of God. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, be seated. Yes. Let's pray. Father, we come to a a holy and a gracious moment in our service Not only do you give us a gospel to sing about, but Father, you give us your word to hear, to be edified by, to be warned and equipped through. Father, the word of God that you have given us is a grace that we must not neglect. And so we ask you, Heavenly Father, to give us full attention, to mark out the time of this sermon to know you and to hear from you, to submit to your word and to make it in our lives alive. We know that your word, Father, is living and active. And so we ask that it do its work upon us. We give ourselves willingly to its power. And Father, I pray that the preaching today may be kept pure that it may be anointed by your spirit, that it may be made clear, that it may be yours. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray for pure speech and pure hearing for the glory of your name. In Jesus we pray, amen. All right. So, as we look at uh, this last section of Genesis 4 through 11, which is the passage that we have been going through in the fall, Uh, we come to a story that is in some ways 
kind of challenging to, to look at because it's, it's very sparse. It, it comes across maybe a bit surprising how God reacts. And uh, I think as we, as we look at it, it challenges something very core about ourselves. And we'll see that as, as we go along. This section of Scripture, these nine verses, declare mankind's great potential. Mankind is, is able to do amazing things, putting themselves together and, and working together. They are able to accomplish, the text says, anything they set their mind to. And we live in a world that is constantly grateful of mankind's great potential. We live in a world where we have seen mankind able to devise a way to go to the moon, to explore uh, outer space. We have seen mankind's potential unlock the way to fight diseases and even eradicate diseases that ravaged our world just generations ago. We admire the human potential that shows up in, in the arts, whether it be beautiful music or whether it be works of, of, of paintings and, and uh, uh, sculpture. We love seeing what the human imagination and the human will can bring out. Technology. I mean, the, 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 what we carry in our cell phones, or in, in our pockets, in our cell phones, is, is, is more uh, advanced than what got us to the moon. And it's amazing what we can do. We're, we're able to accomplish almost anything. Uh, engineering. It, it, uh, it seems that there is not a problem that we cannot set ourselves to and fix. Mankind's great potential leaves us with this, this confidence. What can't we do if we set our minds to it, if we commit ourselves to it? And maybe that brings us to this image of the chasm that we have had uh, in front of us these last several weeks. I mean, the idea of this, this image of the chasm is that because of the fall, we have been placed far and away from God. We have a, a chasm that has separated us from God. And we have insisted every week that that chasm is not something that we can cross. That we must instead look for God to to bring the thread, to bring the, the path of redemption across from his side. But why? Why can't we cross the chasm? We can do almost anything. Why can't we cross the chasm? And I believe that is what the story of Babel is all about. It is the people of Babel saying, we can accomplish anything. We can accomplish Crossing the chasm. Babel is a, is a story that shows us human potential. And it shows us also the results that are ours if we follow their path of trying to get to heaven or trying to, in another sense, save ourselves. 
last week we, we looked at the fact that the, the judgment of the flood had wiped everything off the, uh, off the earth except for Noah and his family. And so we asked the question there, has the flood solved the problem of the chasm? Has it repaired everything now that everything has gone back to new? And we saw tragically no that on the ark was carried the virus of sin in Noah and his family. And as descendants of Noah, we recognize that we cannot, uh, uh, we, we, we have the same virus. We have sin within us. And so sin still separates us from God. This week, though, we come at it from a different tack. Okay, so, so we have sin. So that's, that's a, a major problem. But man, we have such potential. We have such creativity. We have such ingenuity. Perhaps there is another way. This text, the text of Babel, is a call to examine our confidence in ourselves, to examine our our confidence in humanity. We have been raised up to be confident that man can accomplish what he sets our mind to. That's that's the message that pervades so much of our early years. You can set your mind to it, you can do it. This text examines what we think it takes to go to heaven. Now we might say, yeah, 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 I I know what it means to go to heaven. I've listened to enough of your sermons, Nathan, It's, it's, it's very clear. But I think Babel gets deeper. And, I, and the reason that I think that, that we have to look at Babel to see what it really means to get to heaven is because when we look at our practical theology, when we look at what we tell ourselves day to day, we see a completely different message than what is announced to us through the Bible. I, I would uh, submit to you your average funeral and the eulogies and the speeches that fill up a funeral what do we say? We, we argue that this person is a, is a good person because that person is a good person because that person uh, loved his family well because that person did a great job because that person made all these accomplishments and made so many impacts in this world and touched so many hearts. Well, we know that that person's in a better place. There's no mention of Jesus in the gospel that we hear at a vast majority of funerals. And if there is a a, a presentation of Jesus at the funeral, there is still this wide expanse of, well, maybe you need Jesus, but we are not really saying it was about Jesus that this person has made it to heaven. And so this text examines the heart of hearts. What do we really believe is required to make it to heaven? It is, not the most, it is not the word that we can just grab at to comfort ourselves. It must be true and reliable. As we look at this passage, as we, as we look at, at Genesis 10 through 11, the, the basic storyline is that Noah's brothers, or, I'm sorry, Noah's sons, have now uh, covered the face of the earth. That's what Genesis 10, the table of nations, tells us, that the, the, the descendants of Noah have now covered the face of the earth. But we we, uh, discover as we come into Genesis 11 that the covering of the face of the earth was not accomplished by uh, Noah's sons being obedient 
to the command to go and fill the earth, but actually they are scattered across the earth as an act of judgment because in contrast to obeying, they had instead chosen to band together to build a city and to build a tower. And it's because Genesis 11, 1 through 9 is, is really before Genesis 10 in chronology and is really the reason for everything that we see in Genesis 10 and Genesis 11 that we put our focus there. Babel is key to knowing ourselves and our only hope for salvation. That is why it comes at the very end of this section of of history before we get to the, the, the narrative of the patriarchs in the book of Genesis. It is absolutely essential that we grasp what is going on here for our hope of salvation and for our recognition of the limits of ourselves. I want us to see as we go through this passage this simple thesis. Babel's judgment is a perpetual witness that salvation belongs to the Lord alone. Babel's judgment is a perpetual witness that salvation belongs to the Lord alone. How how do we see that? We're going to see that through three headings. We're going to see that Babel stands as a witness to three essential facts that we must grasp not to seek salvation in ourselves, but to rest in the gospel that God has given us for salvation. We'll see first that Babel witnesses that self-salvation comes up short. It's the first thing that the the story of Babel is going to show us, that self-salvation, the salvation that we seek to accomplish by our own merits, our own abilities, our own works, comes up short. So we come into Genesis 11, we're going to start going through it verse by verse. We should immediately be troubled by some of the key words that show up in verses 1 and 2, especially in verse 2. It says, And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain of land of Shinar and settled there. And then they tell us in uh, verse 4, Let us build ourselves a city. Now as we've been going through Genesis We have seen these words east and city already occur, and they occur in negative contexts. East is first announced as the direction that Adam and Eve take once they leave the Garden of Eden. And then, most importantly, in the story of Cain, we read these words in chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, East of Eden, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. You see, we've, we've had in the, in the text a, 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 a warning that the word east is associated with departing from the presence of the Lord. It is a word that is associated with rebellion. And the word city is first established as the place that Cain goes to fortify himself away from the presence of the Lord. East and city are are worrying words that we come across early on in this passage. Next, we see an absolute defiance of the commandment that Noah's sons were given. They were called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But here we see their plan is not to fill the earth, but to band together, to unite, to strengthen one another through community and unity. They are gathering 
not scattering. The exact opposite of God's commandment to them. The place that they, they gather is, is uh, in the land of Shinar, and the, the city that they build is the, the city Babel, which is uh, the same word for Babylon. So if you're an uh, a, a, a original reader of the nation of Israel and you're reading this story, you know Babylon is trouble. This city is founded in the area of Mesopotamia. In fact, if you go into uh, the 10th chapter, you'll see some important setting for uh, this city. Genesis 10.8 says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. So the town of Babel is founded by this man named Nimrod. Don't name your kids Nimrod. I tell you, uh, not, not because it's uh, not a very attractive name, but Nimrod literally means we will revolt. That's the meaning of Nimrod's name. He will revolt. He is the king, the founder of this city. He has founded Babel and he has founded uh, uh, Nineveh, the two great enemies of, uh, of God's people. We know from these, these context clues, this is bad. This is uh, trouble brewing. All of these ingredients go in the pot to make the reader aware that Babel exists to be opposed to the will of God on earth. They are there to establish their own kingdom, their own way. That is what Babel is doing. And if we mistake that, we're going to have a a, a tragic misreading of what's going on here. What way are they pursuing Verse 4 lays it out for us. Verse 4 tells us, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They are uh, pursuing building a kingdom for themselves. They are pursuing their own strength. Notice that this city is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, a fortification. It is a place for their own security and strength, their own renown. They are seeking to be secure by their strength, by their smarts, by their abilities. We can do this. They are there to make a name for themselves. Now, that's an important understanding. A a name in Scripture is is a claim to permanence. A name in Scripture is something that is given from a superior to a, a, an inferior. God is, 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 is shown as the Lord in Genesis 1 in that he names everything. And here we have the people of Babel saying, we will name ourselves. We will make ourselves a great name. This is the pursuit of their self-actualization. And they are taking upon themselves what Scripture shows again and again only God can give. But I submit to you that a people that is seeking security, that is seeking strength, that is seeking prosperity, that is seeking wealth, and that is seeking an invincible reputation 
A simpler word for that is they are pursuing their own salvation. This is self-salvation. Because each and every one of these things makes them strong in themselves. And when we say self-salvation, we need to recognize that when our salvation is by our strength, our smarts, our abilities, our great name, the salvation that we are seeking doesn't need God. That is why it is called self-salvation. Now, it's even more troubling when we recognize that the, the pinnacle project of this town is a tower a tower that we are told is going up to the heavens. We have seen in these first 11 chapters that whenever uh, there is a transgression between something God has separated, whenever there is a reach beyond our supposed limits is when judgment comes. Eve takes the fruit because it will make her like God, knowing good and evil. We see in Genesis 6, whatever, whatever that means, some Uh, transgression between the the sons of God and the daughters of men. That is a separation of of heaven and earth is is being transgressed there. And here we have a tower that is being built to the heavens. What is this tower? It, it, uh, It is illustrative to recognize that in Babylon, towers that were built had had only one purpose. They built towers because they were ways to get to heaven, and what they were uh, called are uh, ziggurats. Ziggurats are a man-made gateway to the divine. There are are different names for ziggurats that we have found in the uh, ancient Near Eastern literature from Mesopotamia. Here are some of the translated names for these towers in Mesopotamia. Uh, Temple of the foundation of heaven and earth. Another one is called temple that links heaven and earth. And another one, temple of the stairway to pure heaven. These are the meanings, the purposes of these towers. And the tower that we see being raised up here fits that description. They are building a tower that is to the heavens. It is literally a way to get to heaven by their own works. It is a way to get to heaven without God. In, uh, in the Akkadian language, the town Babel literally means gate of God. And so what we see here in these efforts is a way to bring heaven to earth by man's efforts. They are doing the same thing that Eve did when she was aspiring to being like God. They are reaching for what God said they cannot have. The entire effort of Babel is the the idea that by our own will and works and, and efforts and smarts and abilities, we can cross the chasm. We can do this. We can find a way. The power is in us. Does it work? No. Look, look at verse 5. I think this, this may not be the first joke of the Bible. The Bible has some jokes in it. Uh, but it's a good one. Verse 5. 
All of this effort, human potential, working day and night, stacking brick upon brick upon brick. It's going up to the heavens. Look how mighty and majestic and tall it is. Man, aren't we amazing? Verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. This tower that supposedly is a gateway, a, a bridge between heaven and earth, God looks down on it, and I have to get down on a knee here. Excuse me, what is that little thing down there? Poking up. This is, this is God speaking some smack, <laughs> in a sense, against what we see uh, uh, is in the minds of Babel. It is not a mighty tower in God's eyes. It doesn't even come close to God's throne. It is way beneath him. It's, it's, uh, the, the, the scene here is, is similar to the, the funniest scene in one of my favorite movies, Spinal Tap. Anybody seen Spinal Tap? You don't have to raise your hands. But it's a great movie. I don't know if I can recommend it as a pastor. I, I don't know. But I can tell you it's funny here. In Spinal Tap, there's this uh, wonderful uh, set piece called Stonehenge. And the plan is that, that uh, they're going to have these big uh, boulders that are the, 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 the rocks of Stonehenge come down from the top of the, uh, from the ceiling down as they sing this, you know, very cool, creepy song. And, and as, they're, as they're getting uh, the, the song going, these big boulders descend, and they keep descending, and they descend, and they descend. By the time they hit the ground, they're only 18 inches tall. And the band is taller than them, and these little leprechaun guys that are, that are dancing are taller than Stonehenge. It's this big event that ends with a great humiliation. This is what this Tower of Babel is telling. Your mighty tower barely measures, is barely visible to the Almighty God. And this is the takeaway. Self-salvation is hubris. It's the puffed-up mind that thinks you're capable of reaching heaven when heaven is so much further up than you can possibly imagine. makes me think of the second psalm where we are told these words, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst the bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Wow, sounds, sounds terrifying and, and, and ominous until we get to verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. You see, it might appear mighty and impressive and imposing and significant from our perspective, but God is looking down, barely impressed. In fact, if God has any reaction to it at all, it's to make a joke of you. It's to give him a source of laughter. And so we see here that we overestimate our good works. We overestimate what we think we can accomplish when it comes to the chasm. Our abilities, our works can never reach heaven. Babel is mankind's greatest effort. And God looked down, mystified at what this little tower was supposed to do. Self-salvation comes up short. 
Next, I want you to see that Babel witnesses that self-salvation ends in judgment. Now, God's perspective takes over from verses 5 through 9. We, we have the, the uh, works of men in verses 1 through 4, and then God takes over in verses 5 through 9. There's a really uh, clever uh, literary technique that is being used to tell this story for the Hebrew reader. It is a, what we call a chiastic structure. What chiasm is, is it's just an X. And what it means is that the first thing is told, that is told to us is then resolved as the last thing we hear at the bottom of the story. And the second thing we're told in the story is resolved as the second to last thing in the story. And so you kind of have this stair-step thing up until you have a singular point in the middle. And so what this chiastic structure does for this particular story is it shows man's plans elegantly reversed by God's judgment. Systematically, everything that the, 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 the community of people think that they have accomplished is reversed by God's judgment. First, we see in verse uh, 4, we're going to build a tower. And in verse 5, the tower is looked at and it is small. Then in verses 3, we see that the people say, uh, let us go and, and, and build and make a name for ourselves. And verse 7 is countered with, let us go down and confuse their speech. And we see in verses 3 also that they said to one another, and then God responds to that afterwards by saying, uh, they're not going to be able to understand one another because I'm going to confuse their speech. In verse 2, we're told that they've all gathered together, and then at the end of the story, in verse 8, they are all dispersed. You see how everything that man did, everything that man seeked to accomplish was systematically reversed and undone when God comes to view it. What is the result of all of this? They set out to make their name great. They set out to make their name exalted, but instead it becomes reproached. Look again at verse 9. Babel was supposed to mean gate of God, but therefore its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. I just... I just wish there was some, some example of a, a, a place or a people that you know, have had this great name that just seemed invincible and unstoppable and unbeatable and greater than great that we could think of getting humiliated at their own hometown. Is there anything that, that oh, it's on the tip of my tongue, as I was doing some deep uh, Hebrew studies, incidentally, Shinar can, by way of translation, be made Tuscaloosa. <laughs> and so you have a modern-day, very fresh Babel, where their name was to be exalted, and now they are cluttered in Facebook with all sorts of jokes and puns and memes that won't end. This is what's going on here. The people uh, pursued a great name of honor, and they ended up with a great name of reproach and failure. Babel is not gate of God, but rather it stands for they came to nothing. That is what happens. You see, God has his judgment against hubris, and the judgment that God has for hubris is humiliation. Proverbs 3.34 
says it simply. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. Jesus says in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, if we pursue the hubris of self-salvation, we are not headed for glory. We are headed for humiliation. Self-salvation is a serious sin. And recognize that as, as, it, as much as it seems to, to, to sound like it's, it's, it's a good thing, that, that I'm, I'm saved because I'm, I'm doing the right thing, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm accomplishing what I earn, all of those sorts of things, I mean, they feed into a lot of the American way narrative. But self-salvation is a serious sin because it is, it, it is this. It is a declaration of independence from God the Creator. God has told us that we cannot save ourselves. And so to insist, no, I can, no, I can figure out a way, no, I can be good enough, is to declare yourself opposed to God. It is to take the name of Nimrod. We are revolting. And it is to become a little picture of idolatry. Because your existence, rather than submitting and serving the Lord, is to prove the Lord wrong. That my good works will measure up. My life will be evaluated according to my standards, not yours. And that is an offense to God. More seriously, the entire idea of self-salvation denies the cross of Christ. You recognize when you pursue salvation by good works, by your name, by your accomplishments, you are saying Jesus didn't have to die for me. And so, your life becomes a blasphemy to God's Son. The way of Babel is the way of judgment. Babel goes all the way to the last book of the Bible. It goes all the way to chapter 18 of Revelation where we are told these words about Babylon as it falls. Revelation 18, 7 and 8. As she, Babylon, glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. Just because the Tower of Babel was brought to nothing does not mean that the spirit of Babel is not alive and well in the world today. It is the spirit of Babel that is reserved for the final judgment in Revelation 18 
And the story of Babel is all those who have tried to make themselves glorious and good in their own eyes and by their own works. And just at the moment that, that, that Babylon thinks that they have made it and that they are gloating in their glory and in their success and in their, their uh, permanence and their salvation is the day that the Lord humbles them completely. Beloved, have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Are you here because you need his mercy, his grace, his way? Or are you here because being part of a church is another part of your pristine resume, your good work? You're accomplishing your own salvation. Are you here because being religious is better than not being religious? Are you here because you are uh, uh, casting your bet that you're going to be better off than most? My friends, the only way to avoid the, the judgment of self-salvation is to humble yourself, to completely desert and repent of any thought that you yourself earns any part of heaven. Anything less than that, you will face a humbling. But these words, as much as they are a, 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 a warning to the, to the exalters, are an assurance to those who humble. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Beloved, humble yourself that the Lord may exalt you in his gospel. And that is why the third heading that I want us to see, Babel's judgment is a perpetual witness that salvation belongs to the Lord alone, is this. Babel witnesses that only God's way will save. Only God's way will save. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, uh, uh, well, let me find verse 6 again. Verse 6 says these words, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. That's the reason that God gives for bringing the judgment of confusing their language upon them. Now, I remember as a young Christian, as, a, as, as the first time I read this passage, I was like, what? Why, 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 are, you, why are you in such a wet blanket, God? <laughs> What's going on here? They were just, they were just building. They were, they were just using all of these gifts. What, what do you have against their great potential? Why, why don't you want them to succeed, Lord? I was perplexed. And maybe you've read this passage perplexed too, that it seems like a, a harsh judgment for a rather innocent uh, in endeavor. But here's what we have to know. That God's stopping Babel is a mercy. Because what God is actually describing in verse 6 is not the great heights that man will reach by working together, but the great destruction they will bring upon themselves by working against God. 
You see, Babel leads to self-destruction. The more that they build, the more that they do is they seek to be a, a, a kingdom of self, a kingdom against the kingdom of God, the more lost they are becoming. And so if, if, verse, if he does not stop what is being demonstrated with the potential of man, then he was not going to stop man falling into eternal lostness. Because they are pursuing rebellion that is harder and harder and harder. And so it is a mercy that God confuses their language. Confusing their language is, is very similar to what God was doing when he said, uh, now I cannot let them eat from the tree of life, lest they eat of it and live forever. Why can't we eat from the tree of life? Because you're in a state of sin. And if you take on an eternal life in the state of sin, you have taken on eternal damnation. For the same reason, God must confuse their language because their potential is their own destruction. And to leave them in this state is to leave them absolutely hopeless. So God confuses their language. He takes this effort at Babel and he brings it to nothing. And the reason is good. Why does he make sure that Babel fails? Because there is only one way of salvation. There is one way to bring heaven to earth. And that is from God. Look again at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower. In this chiastic structure that we've talked about, verse 5 is at the very middle. And it does not have a parallel statement. It's by itself. It sticks out as, as an unmatched statement. And that puts the highlight on it to the original reader. This is the verse I want you to pay attention to. That the Lord came down. It has the prominence. It stands out without parallel. And what it tells us as we look at this great story of building a tower is this truth. We cannot come up to God, but God can come down to us. That is what verse 5 singles out. In Babel, he came down in judgment, but he came down in judgment on this day so that someday he might come down in salvation. By scattering, he has preserved his promise. And so after we finish these nine verses, we see that we go into another genealogy, a genealogy that uh, tells us of the descendants of Shem, and it goes ten generations, and then we get to the 10th generation, verses 11, 26. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. It is because of Babel's being stopped that that judgment that would be more severe was kept back, that we have the promise continuing forward. That promise comes through Abram. We are told at the beginning of Genesis 12 these words to Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. 
and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see the very thing that was pursued in Babel, a name and a salvation and a security by their own works is here promised to Abram freely by faith, a gift of grace. It is through Abram that God will bring his own son into the world. The very first page of the New Testament, the very first verse, Matthew 1, 1. This book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abram, or Abraham. It is that son whose last words after going through the cross to pay for the sins of all peoples and rising from the dead announces that the gospel that he has provided is a gospel that we are to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, the sin and the division and the scattering that came from Babel is brought back and restored through the one gospel, Jesus Christ. Babel witnesses that only God's way will save. And that way is Jesus Christ. Beloved, let Babel point you to Christ alone. Let Babel terrify you from any belief that you can make yourself good enough to be acceptable before God, to disabuse you of any thought that if I don't make it to heaven, then it's going to be a really sorry place. I have to be good enough. I'm better than most. Let it disabuse you of that because Babel is the best effort that this world could ever make to cross the chasm by our own works. And it failed utterly. It ended in judgment And it becomes a testimony that only God's way will save. Beloved, there is good news. God has come down to us in his son, Jesus. And the question is simple. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Scripture makes it simple. There is only one way. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is this the way that you are on? Trust him. He alone will bring you across the chasm. He will bring you home. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.